Hello, and welcome to Polylog, a weekly dialogue that takes a critical look at the policymaker, the politician, and the journalist, because each is critical and each demands criticism. I'm Brendan Steidel, your co-host and communications specialist in government, technology, and healthcare. Our goal for Polylog is to look at the policy and the framing of various instances of political journalism. Polylog is our attempt to find, praise, and demand constructive political dialogue. Today is Monday, June 6th, 2022, and while our family's still bonding with our new baby boy, I'm excited to bring you part 10 of my Solving Guns project. The multi-part series that we're sharing for the first time with our Polylog listeners The goal of which is to examine every form of gun violence to go deep on the reasons why people own guns in the first place and to find solutions without passing gun control laws. Not because these laws are a bad idea or a good idea, but because laws are not solving this issue right now. Whether you love guns or hate them, my hope is that the solutions here can unite those in the left and the right behind one goal to save lives, something we can all agree on. You can find this project with written versions and some videos online at solvingguns.org, where you can also access the 2,000-plus pages of facts and statistics that I leaned on for this project. This is part 10 of our discussion, and we are still in the mass shooter section, the mass shooting section, and we are talking about the media today. So let's go ahead and dive right into that. So In previous sections, we talked about trying to stop the stresses that can lead to a shooting. But what if we fail at that effort? What if someone is stressed, so stressed they feel the need to do something about it? Why do they choose violence? Why, yes, why do they want to become a mass shooter to begin with? Where do they even get that idea? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is the media. And it shouldn't be a surprise that after the terrible, terrible shooting that we saw in Texas, there seemed to be an unending cycle of mass shootings happening, and that is driven in large part due to media coverage. There's tons of media coverage for every mass shooting. And that media coverage, sure, it focuses on the tragedy, but it also focuses on the killer. We have names. Names are a big one. Splashed everywhere. Repeated over and over again on television, like some ancient totem or on social media. Then we have images, grainy shots and Facebook photos from some friend's feed, or if the perpetrator is still alive, the mugshot. Everyone loves a mugshot. And finally, the story. We get the story of the killer, first from neighbors and acquaintances, the family next door. We never would have known, they say. And finally, the arc of the killer's story, where they started and how it all ended. Always there's the search for how this could happen, Always, there's the question, when did their lives take this turn towards unspeakable violence? Oh, and increasingly, we get from the media the words and posts and messages, the manifestos of the killers themselves, unmediated, something created with the express intention to glorify. All of this material, it could fill a book, each killer a fascinating character, And fascination is the only word for it. The media is absolutely fascinated by the story. But it's no special kind of fascination. The media today is no different from media of the past. In 1924, the entire country was drawn to the fascinating story of the murder by Leopold and Loeb, two rich do-nothing young prats who decided to kill for the thrill of killing, just to see if they could get away with it. Spoiler alert, they didn't. 
The story of Leopold and Loeb inspired and continues to inspire media coverage. Alfred Hitchcock even made a movie out of it, Rope, that starts with the killers and ends with the killers. That's a lot of story and a lot of glory for those who seek it. And make no mistake, mass shooters do seek it. According to an analysis by researchers in the International Handbook of Threat Assessment, most active shooters expressed an interest in being famous. Infamous, I should say. Remember, these are individuals who think very highly of themselves, but often feel victimized by the world. Men whose manliness has been trampled or, in their minds, offended, who seek vindication and validation. The Columbine shooters talked about Hollywood directors fighting over the rights to their story. This is nothing new. A study of historical assassins found that a thirst for fame and notoriety was literally the second most common motive. Marina Oswald Porter, the wife of JFK's assassin, said the most important thing for him was that he wanted to become famous. Idea number one. He was fanatic about it, I think. Goal number one. The killer in the Tucson, Arizona attack said, I'll see you on national TV. The killer in the March 2016 attack in Coeur d'Alene said, I have sent my story to all the major news organizations. The killer in the October 2015 shooting in Roseburg, Oregon said, A man who was known by no one is now known by everyone. His face splashed across every screen, his name across the lips of every person on the planet, all in the course of one day. Seems the more people you kill, the more you're in the limelight. The disturbing thing about this is that the media so often fulfills these dreams. By doing so, they not only play directly into the hands of these killers, granting their wish, they also produce material that can inspire the next mass shooting. And that is the real issue here. And inspire it does. By digging so deep into the stories, the media dredge up themes and struggles that are universal, identifiable, human. Themes like disenchantment, Frustration, rage against the world, themes every teenager lives daily, feels in their bones. Yes, by so thoroughly interrogating the stories of the killers, the media unwittingly hits on the ordinary, the everyday, turning a killer into an everyman. At least for some young men, the story clicks. At first it might be simple identification, but soon it becomes admiration. At the temerity, the ingenuity and drive of the killer, Here's someone who stood up from the hopelessness of their situation and took a stand against the world. And now look, watch the world tremble at the mention of their name. Yes, in telling the story of the villain, the media creates in the minds of the next killer a hero. And that feeling in the aggrieved man consuming all of this news coverage, that feeling finally becomes inspiration. Some of the mass shooters were so inspired that they actually made pilgrimages to the sites of prior shootings. They weren't just looking for best practices, they were seeking to connect in some way to their heroes. In a study of mass killers and assassins, the researchers Fain and Voskal determined that nearly 40% of them had emulated previous killers directly, mentioning them in their own writings or possessions. This inspiration of media coverage, it actually has a name. Researchers call it the media contagion effect, and they've measured its power in the same way they measure the distribution of an infectious disease outbreak. For every three shootings that take place, on average, one will be copied within 13 days somewhere around the country. In a recent paper, researchers suggested that if we could stop this media contagion effect, we could return to the level of mass shootings that existed before 1970, a rate, they say, where it becomes a truly aberrant event.
Unfortunately, the opposite seems to be happening. In my own analysis of the FBI data, I noticed something kind of disturbing. Looking at 15 years of the FBI's records on active shooters, I noticed that the number of mass shooters is rising. But if we try to understand why it's rising, is it rising among young people or old people? Is it rising among handgun shooters or rifle shooters? Is it rising among shooters in one area of the country? None of these characteristics seem to matter. But here's one that does. If we look at shooters who target friends and family, people they know, we notice that there's not much of a rise at all. Completely flat, no change for the last 15 years. But if you look at the graph of shooters who target strangers, that graph goes up like a rocket, straight up. So the rise in mass shootings over the years, it's because of this increase in shooters who are targeting strangers. Shooters who have a public grievance, not a private one. That's what it is. If that number stayed flat, we wouldn't see any rise. But why would a shooter target strangers? What's to gain from it, except the satisfaction of having lashed out? The answer, I think, is attention. Media attention. But if that's the case, if it's true that so many killers are killing because they heard about killers, if it's true they are doing it having been inspired to seek their own glory and aggrandizement, well, what do we do about it? I mean, it's chilling, isn't it, to think that just talking about something could make it worse. It kind of goes against everything we believe about the importance of a free and open dialogue, the value of a free press. This, though, it isn't a problem. It's a huge opportunity to change things for the better. If a third of shooters chose to kill because the sky was blue, well, you can't do anything about that. But if a third of them do it because they're modeling themselves on the stories of other killers, if half of them are looking for fame and glory in the media, well, we collectively, we are the media, and we can change that. In fact, the work is already underway. The FBI has joined with researchers at Texas State University and the families of victims to try to change how the media covers mass shootings. They call it the Don't Name Them campaign. And it asks media to not release names or likenesses after a shooter has been either captured or killed. The campaign is reasonable enough. If you don't share the killer's name, you're not advancing their reputation. But, but, the problem is that the Don't Name Them campaign doesn't work. Nobody seems to be changing their coverage. Reporters and editors are still convinced that there's a public interest served in knowing deep, detailed stories about perpetrators. Even when the media reports on the media contagion effect and the campaign to stop naming shooters, they get it wrong. Like an article in the Chicago Tribune headlined, Can the Media Reduce Massacres? That was rife with names of killers. The Washington Post did the same thing in a report from 2015 called are mass shootings contagious? Some scientists who study how viruses spread say yes. And yet the story was packed with viral photos of mass killers and weaponry, the same vectors that spread the contagion. New York Times, same thing, using mass shooters' names when reporting on the media contagion effect. What the hell? Don't you get it? It's crazy making, but we're also being a bit crazy to expect anything different because it's human nature to want to report on these things. And when the entire country is scrambling for information, a name, a face, an answer why, well, the media is going to answer, right? Going to fulfill that job to be done with the name and face and story of the killer. So what's the solution? Three strategies, each more, well, more than the last. Step one is to redirect. 
First, we redirect reporter attention to other stories that are more constructive, like those of the victims or everyday heroes. Or imagine this, stories about the actual real-life causes and potential solutions to mass shootings. We build a list of experts ready to talk not about cause, but prevention. Call it the Prevention Action Team. After each shooting, the team leaps into action, contacting every single reporter likely to be assigned to the story, ready to steer the conversation towards insight and away from obsession. Step two is re-index. Technology can help here, and here's the technology angle. We engage Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms like TikTok to black out any mention of a shooter's name and likeness. It shouldn't be hard. A name is text, and text is searchable. Find the name in a post and block it. But blocking might be too extreme. How about this? You're about to put up a post mentioning the shooter by name. The moment you tap post, a message pops up. Your post violates our terms of use by promoting or propagating the name of a suspected or confirmed mass murderer. Tap here to automatically replace the name with a placeholder, like shooter or perpetrator or suspect. All right, that might work for text. What about images? Well, facial recognition algorithms are getting better and better by the day, so an algorithmic approach could be used to do the same for images and video. We can also work beyond social media, engaging search engines like Google, Bing, and DuckDuckGo. Ask them to do the same for web results, favoring results that report more responsibly and penalizing those that spread a shooter's name and likeness. This can even work backwards, smothering the fame of past shooters. Just imagine if you entered the name of a known shooter into Google and received absolutely zero results. If you did an image search and not a single face appeared. If we can get a company that the media relies on on board, like Getty Images, we could even remove shooter photos from their libraries for use in future stories. Just think of the power of this policy. If the tech industry throttles stories that mention a killer's name, media companies will take note, and they might just adopt a blanket policy of doing just the same, replacing the glory of printing a name with the anonymity of a word like suspect or shooter or perpetrator. It's hard to be infamous when you're anonymous. The third thing we can do is revise. All of this, though, it still feels a bit like we're blocking our first inclinations, And our natural response as humans is to talk about other humans and to talk about them by name. Not saying things like perpetrator or suspect, victim or heroine, but Jill or Jack, Omar or Siobhan. We are wordsmiths, giving to everyone and everything we see a label or a name. Why should we treat those that terrorize us any differently? We should give them a name, but a different one. Imagine this. Each time there is a mass shooting, a university laboratory lights up, computers whirl, and a name is automatically generated, alongside a digital model of a perfectly anonymous computer-generated face and figure, one that vaguely resembles the suspect, similar age, similar hair color, similar build, but an unmistakably different face. This digital stand-in is essentially cast as our shooter and distributed through the FBI, law enforcement, and other means directly to the media. Here is a name. Here is a likeness you can use. This is better than blurring out a figure because it fulfills a basic human need to stare evil in the face and to say its name. This might seem like a strange tactic, but it's really no different from naming hurricanes and snowstorms, something the media does all the time. Maybe it's a university that does this work. Maybe a nonprofit. Maybe the Associated Press or Reuters, some sort of news agency, a technology company or advocacy group. But the impact could be great. 
to remove every possible whisper of fame from the perpetration of violent acts, to smother the flame of inspiration by changing the stories that are written, reshaping the conversations that are spoken, and recasting every tragedy before the first act even begins. Let's cut mass shootings by a third before they even begin. And let's start today. So that's it for the section on media and their role in potentially reducing mass shootings. Next week, we'll begin our discussion of eliminating day of shooting, shootings that happen the day that they are kind of inspired to happen rather than meticulously planned ahead of time. And then we'll move on in that same episode to talk about ways that we can detect the first shots and try to save lives as quickly as possible. But until then, you can learn more at solvingguns.org. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can email us at podcast at polylog.com. You can tweet at me at bsteidel. You can tweet at Naomi at sotonaomi underscore. And you can tweet at the show at polylogcast. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk with you again next week.